0: Well, kia ora etefano, kia to, kia koutou, te, ki ki te arohanou metirangimarie. Uh, grace and peace to you all as we come to this point in the service where we, we open the Bible and we study the Word of God together. Uh, on this, our fourth week of lockdown, I believe. Uh, I don't know how it's been for you. Um, I guess if you've got kids in your house, your house probably feels smaller than it did when you first began the lockdown. And even that sense of privilege, you know, you remember, you know, quality time with the kids, you know, that sense of privilege may be wearing a bit thin about now, I don't know. Certainly it's true if you look at the news and you catch up with what's going on, we know that around the nation there's, there's real trial, um, there is loss, and there's sadness, and there's fear, fear for relatives, fear for jobs, fear for the loss of income, and what will it mean in the future? And some of us are already sensing some of that. So we know this is a time of real trial, which is why I wanted to focus on a psalm with you this morning, a psalm. And I make no bones about it. I'm a real fan of the psalms. I love the psalms. And it's no exaggeration to say that over the last 25 years or so, I've read a psalm almost every single day right from from psalm 1 right through to psalm 150 it's how i start my day and then i go back to the psalm again back to the beginning and i just keep on going on the cycle and the years go by and the decades have gone by and i think it's just because it's become such a habit with me and i i've tried to break the habit you know occasionally i think ah, oh, no more psalms i'm going to read a proverb instead but i go back to the psalms and i kick off every new day with a psalm And I think the reason for that is because, you know, the Psalms are inspired prayers that cover every situation we will ever face. Whether they're situations of joy or sadness, there's a Psalm that will suit that particular condition. And I think, too, they're a beautiful gift from God because they help us articulate our feelings in a way that that glorifies God and transforms us. So they're a beautiful gift, and so I love the Psalms. Also, I don't know whether you've noticed, but on many of the Psalms, you have, you have little introductory phrases, don't you? Or little, little snippets that tell you the occasion that the Psalm wants to be sung on, or tells you something about the, the Psalmist and what they were going through at the time they composed the Psalm. And I really love those too, because they give you insights into what was going on at the time. And this is especially true, I think, in Psalm 34, which is the psalm I want to focus on this morning. Psalm 34. You might like to turn to it. Don't read it yet. But I want to just start with that little introductory snippet, which goes something like this. This is what it says. It says, Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. I think what an interesting introduction and the first time i ever read this i remember thinking what is going on with david what's happening it sounds so extreme and it is extreme actually and this morning i think it's worth unpacking it a bit and finding out what was going on behind this phrase because i think that will shed light onto the psalm itself and It'll help us as we face the pressures and trials and uncertainty that are going on around us at this time. I believe that. So that's where I want to go. I hope it's okay. That's what I want us to do. So so if you want to know what was going on in this little introductory snippet, you've really got to go way, way back to 1 Samuel 16. And that's when David is first introduced to us. You You know him, David, very famous character in the Old Testament. You'll probably know his story as well as I do. Um, David, youngest son in a large family, um, somewhat despised by the others, uh, looked over, put aside, relegated to being a shepherd out in the fields in an obscure town in Israel. But in 1 Samuel 16, the the national prophet Samuel comes to his town and eventually finds David and, and, and anoints him to be the next king of Israel which is right out of the blue because there's no connection between David and the present king Saul or his family. There's no connection at all. David's got about as much chance of becoming king of Israel as I do of becoming king of England. You know, there's no, there's no connection. But he's anointed king. And at that moment, it says, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And really, it's true. It's like everything from that moment seems to change around David. And he's somehow propelled forward into the halls of power. And that starts happening very soon after because David is is summoned to King Saul's palace. Um, because Saul is going through these terrible seizures, has these strange turns. And the only way to calm King Saul down is for someone to play the harp, and that calms him down. And somebody in the palace must have thought, who can I get to play the harp? I know a guy in Bethlehem, uh, David, that's his name. He can play the harp, we'll bring him in. And so David is brought into the palace uh, and experiences the palace for the first time. The next chapter, it goes forward even further, because in chapter 17, David faces the giant Philistine Goliath, you know the story, and miraculously, astonishingly, David takes him down, kills him. And it's at that point that David is catapulted into stardom, really. He becomes the most popular guy in Israel, saves the nation. And uh, people sing songs about him. The girls are, are dancing and singing songs. They go like, you know, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. He's now more popular than Saul, just like that. And uh, it just continues to grow. The next chapter, Saul's son, Jonathan, becomes David's best friend and heaps expensive gifts on him. David becomes a general in Saul's army. And then to cap it off, Saul gives him his daughter to marry. And so in the space of a a few crowded chapters, David is taken from being an obscure shepherd in an obscure town to becoming, well, within an inch of the throne of Israel. It's incredible. Part of one of the most powerful families in the land. And I'm sure if you come to David at that moment, if you've been able to walk up alongside him and say, David, David... um, Samuel anointed you to be Israel's next king. Uh, How's it all panning out for you then? I think David, in all humility, would would have turned to you and said, well, uh, it's incredible. God has just opened door after door. He's just pushed me through. And now I'm within a step of the throne. I think it's going pretty well. (laughs) I think that's what David would have had to have said. Which is astonishing, because within the next day or two, it's like everything, like a house of cards, it just all collapses dramatically. Because we read that King Saul is very insecure, sees David as a threat, lashes out at him, rounds up his soldiers, and and goes after David to destroy him. And so David has to get up at night, uh, jump out of his bedroom window, and he panics he just takes off into the dark on his own just runs away so a few hours before he's the most popular guy in Israel now he's on the run for his life and he does run he, he runs across the border into enemy territory and uh, he comes to a Philistine town and, and, and it's at this point that we get to the moment when David composes Psalm 34 so it's a, it's a good thing to just read exactly what, what, what it says uh, when David gets to this town. It's in 1 Samuel uh, 21, and it says in verse 10, it says this, "'That day David fled from Saul and went to Archish, king of Gath. But the servants of Archish said to him, "'Isn't this David, the king of the land? "'Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances, "'Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands?' David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Archish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. He's pretending to be insane, rolling in the dirt. It goes on to say that Archish basically says, get this guy out of here. They throw David out, David takes off. And then it says in the next verse, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam is is a hill, way outside of town in a desolate place full of caves. And that's where David runs and hides. And you've got to take a pause and and ponder the scale of David's fall, don't you? Because he's, he's fallen such a long way. I mean, Samuel had anointed him to be king. Everything seems to fall into place. He's within an inch of seeing God's calling fulfilled on him and becoming king. And then suddenly it's all just ripped away, just taken away from him. Everything collapses. It's like a Shakespearean tragedy. And now here he is, on his own, without a friend, in a cave, on the run, having pretended to be mad and dribbling down his beard. It's a huge fall, isn't it? And the thing is, it's at this point, it's at this point that David seems to pick up his harp, he probably still carries it somewhere, his pocket harp, tunes it up, and he begins to sing. He begins to compose Psalm 34. Now, before we look at the song he composed, the psalm, it's worth asking yourself for a second, what kind of song would you be singing if you were in David's position? What kind of song would you be singing? I know for me, I think the songs that I would sing would be pretty bleak, all right? I think of the bleakest songs that I know. Uh, I think of songs like um, Les Miserables, you know, uh, I Dreamed a Dream, that's a, it's a bleak song. Or um, if you're into Queen, I guess it's... Um, uh, nobody loves me. I'm from a poor family. Is that the way it goes? Uh, I think the bleakest song I know is actually by Johnny Cash, when he sings that cover song, uh, "Hurt." And it's a, it's a, the lyrics are so bleak, and it's such a profoundly sad song. The words go: Some of the words are, "What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end, and you could have it all, my empire of dirt." You know, and that's the chirpiest part of the song. I mean it's very bleak. And I don't know, but I think I'd probably be tempted to sing a song like that if I was in David's position. And it's even probably worth asking the question, what kind of song are you singing now? You know, in these days, you know, when, when things are difficult. You may not be in a cave in a dullum, but things may be tough. Maybe for you it is the fear of the loss of income or the actual loss of income, you know, the loss of your job and and all that follows there. You know, how will we keep up with the repayments? What about the bills? What about the kids? Maybe it's the loss of, of family, you know, through the virus or through other, other things. Maybe you're fearful of losing loved ones. Maybe there's illness. Maybe it's in your relationships, in your in your marriage, maybe, or with your kids. You know, things can be Go wrong and become quite tough and and even the lockdown may have simply brought things to a head or brought things to the surface i don't know what you're facing but it may be rough in this season where there are a lot of rough things going on we can all feel like we're in a cave sometimes so i want to ask you again what kind of song are you singing at the moment what kind of prayer are you praying what kind of praise or what kind of songs are you singing? well Let's look, take a look at David's song, because the song he actually writes at this point may surprise you. All right, So let's just start reading the psalm. Psalm 34, the first verse. It starts like this. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. And straight away, I'm thinking, "Wow, that's a that's a surprising song." I mean, it's a it's a celebration that He's singing in this cave on His own. It is a celebration. This is exaltation. This is this is full exuberant joy. And you find yourself scratching your head, thinking, "Where did this come from?" You know, <laughs> How is this happening? He shouldn't be singing a song like this. Where did it come from? He, I mean, he's lost everything. He's lost friends, family, reputation, freedom, maybe even a sense of calling. You know, God, you were you were calling me to be king. I was right near the throne. Now it's been taken away. Where are you, Lord? He's lost everything, and yet here we see celebration, and it's full on. And you've got to ask yourself, don't you? How can this be? Where? Does this celebration come from? And of course, as you look further on, the rest of the psalm unpacks it further. And actually, you'll see there are there are lots of things that fuel this kind of celebration in David. Now, I just want to mention to you three, all right, for the sake of time. That there are three obvious things here in the psalm that I think fuel godly joy and celebration, even in the midst of trial and darkness three things the first thing is this all right first thing is this david celebrated because david believed absolutely that our god is a god who hears us when we cry to him and acts and answers he hears and he answers and you can see that throughout the psalms they're so looking at verse four it says this it says i sought the lord and he answered me verse six this poor man called And the Lord heard him. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. So you can see here that David is absolutely convinced, even when he's alone, even when he's lost everything, locked down in a cave, that when he cries out, God hears him and God answers him. And, uh, and this is really important in understanding David, because you'll see this again and again throughout all of his psalms, this refrain, I sought, I cried out, God hears me. God hears me. The fundamental nature of our relationship with God, you see, is that he hears and answers us when we pray. And let me tell you, as God's people, we need to take this on board for ourselves at this time. It's a, it's a fundamental nature of our relationship. It's as fundamental, really, as a parent responding to the cry of their young child. You know, as parents, many of you will know that, that sound, you know, in the middle of the night, that baby cry. You, you know, you can put your head under the blankets and try and ignore it, but you can't for long, can you? You can't unhear it. And eventually you get up and you respond to it because, because it's fundamental to our relationship. And uh, we have to respond. And uh, that's what's being seen here in the psalm. We, we cry out and he must hear us. And uh, it's assumed also in the New Testament as well. So Jesus says directly in, uh, in, in Matthew 7, he says, he says, look, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That's the heart of the Father behind this. It's what he does. He hears us when we cry to him. John 16, Jesus says, Ask and you will receive that your joy will be full. He hears, he answers when we cry to him. David understood that. And at times like we're facing now, we need to come back to this absolute truth of scripture. And I'll be honest with you, I'm pleased to say that I've been a Christian since I was a teenager, 40 years. And in 40 years, I can honestly say that God has never failed me, that I have cried out to him and he has always heard me and he has answered me. Now, it may not be the way that I always expect, but there's always an answer. And that's 40 year testimony right there. And it's true. And I praise God for that. And we can celebrate that as David did, even in the cave of Adullam we might be sitting in now. All right. We can celebrate that truth. We cry out, he must hear us. He will hear us. That's the first thing, right? He will never fail to hear us and answer us. That's number one. Number two. Secondly, David can celebrate because God, by definition, is one who is near us. All right? he, he hears us, number one, but he is also near us. He is near us. Look at the seventh verse of, of Psalm 34. It says, "It says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Now, the scholars will tell you that that phrase, angel of the Lord, actually refers to God himself. They are often interchangeable in scripture. So what we're really reading here is that God himself encamps around those who fear him. All right God is very close. God is encamping around David in this cave. Beautiful. So he is near verse 18 as well. It says this the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And that's beautiful. All right. When we are brokenhearted that that is when God is especially close. It's almost like the more brokenhearted you are, the nearer he is. Uh, and that's a beautiful thought. And the thing is, if, if that is true in the old covenant, in, in David's day, that God is near, how much more can we expect that to be true under the new covenant? All right? Because, of course, under the new covenant, the Spirit of God, who is God himself, comes to live within us. And you can't get closer than that. All right, so if you're a Christian this morning, God is within you. I mean, we are born again by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 says, we have received the Spirit who is from God. Galatians 4, 6 says, because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. All right, so so that's how close he is to you. and this nearness nearness, is part of the glory of the new covenant, right? So it doesn't matter how, much of a, 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 how dark the cave is around you or how isolated you feel, God is closer to you now than your very breath. Hallelujah. You see, back under the old covenant in David's day, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. But listen, under the new covenant, the Spirit comes within us by his grace, as well as upon us. (laughs) So, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. That's worth celebrating. He is near. He is near. Hallelujah. That's the second thing. And this brings me to the third source that fuels David's celebration, right? Even in the toughest times, and it's this, all right? knowing god hears and answers us is is wonderful knowing that he's near us is fantastic but more than that even david knows this god's heart is for us to experience his nearness and experience his presence and experience his love firsthand Look at verse eight of chapter of Psalm thirty four. Says this. It says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good." Oh, geez, it's a beautiful phrase, "Taste and see," right? It's, a, it's an invitation to experience. It's an invitation to sit down and eat, to receive and eat. You know, my favorite dessert is still a pav. You know, pavlova. Love a good pavlova. Listen, knowing I have a pavlova in the house is, is good news. That's one thing. But sitting down and tasting it, well, that's of a different order. That's wonderful. Yeah? Smelling a roast leg of l- l- lamb in the oven, even the smell makes me feel wonderful. But let me tell you, sitting down and actually tasting it, that is bliss. Uh, that is my favorite as well. That's my favorite main course. Hallelujah. And you see, this is a great glory of the Christian faith. You see, our faith is not some intellectual body of teaching. It's not just cerebral. It's not just some old tradition handed down from someone else. It's not just the power of positive thinking. No, no, no. The, the Christian faith is experiential. All right. It's experiential. And, uh, and, and Paul in the New Testament understands this too, and, and often talks about it. So so he says this, he says, you know, Knowing God is near to us by the Spirit is a glorious truth, as we've said. But actually, for Paul, that's not enough still. He goes on to say in Ephesians 5, he says, Be being filled with the Spirit. In other words, be filled to overflowing with the Spirit allow the spirit to come upon you fill you from within and overflow you and he goes on to say this he says speaking to one another with psalms hymns and songs from the spirit sing and make music from your heart to the lord in other words engage with the spirit as you worship him as you worship god taste and see that the lord is good and that's what Paul is eager for us to do. It's allowing the Spirit to testify with yours that you are God's child. That's, that's Romans 8.16. Allow the Spirit to testify, to meet with your spirit and affirm and say to you again and again, you are my child. That's what that verse means. Or Romans 5.5, 5, it says, Allow God's love to be poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In other words, allow God to fill you with his love. And to stir your love for God, that's tasting and seeing. That's more than just, I know. No, that's tasting and seeing. That's engaging with God. And you see, this is the quality of the relationship we can enjoy with our Father wherever we are. David knew something of that in his day. But let me tell you, we can know it in its fullness in ours. Because we have the Spirit within us. We have access to more and more of His Spirit. Hallelujah. So let's make it a priority at this time to draw near to his presence, pressing into worship. Guard that time. Pursue him. Enjoy the life that comes from the gift of this relationship. Hallelujah. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, tasting and seeing is, is, is more than simply to know. You know, as I think about this lockdown, the last few weeks of this lockdown, I, you know, I think, and you know, for me, the hardest thing—the hardest thing—I've I've had no hardship actually. But, but when I think about the hardest thing I've had to endure, you know, for me personally, you know what what it is? For me, it's the hardship of not being and cuddling my grandkids. It, it really is. Uh, it's become a, it's a bit of an ache, actually. Um, it's funny, when we were told that we might go from a level four lockdown to level three, and, and they've been talking about that the last few days. You know, my thought when, when I heard about level three, it, my thought well, wasn't, what will this mean for the nation? My first question to Julie was, does this, does this mean we can see the kids? <laughs> because that's what I wanted to do. Because, you see, to know that they are my grandkids or I'm their grandfather on paper is one thing. But to be with them and to hold them as they wriggle around in my arms and to enjoy their love and to love them and to enjoy their vitality is is beautiful Um, and, and nothing beats that. And that's kind of what we're talking about here with tasting and seeing. It's sitting down and eating. And I guess what I'm saying to you this morning is, listen, don't allow your love for God Or is love for you to be on paper only? All right, you may know the chapter and verse, but don't let it remain there. No, Jesus died that you might experience his love and enjoy it to its fullness, and that you might gain strength from his love. That's what he died to give you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It causes David to sing even in the old covenant. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. This is what's fueling David's joy. David is convinced God hears, God is near, and God's invitation is for me to taste and see that he is good. Hallelujah. (laughs) So just as we close now and, and come in to just pray for a moment, Look, just for a moment, wherever you are, look, you might be on your own or you may be with a group of others. I want to just encourage you to maybe just forget about the other person if they're in the room. Just shut your eyes. I kind of dare you to really shut your eyes and listen. Number one, God hears you when you cry out to him. Number two, he is near you right now. Number three, his invitation to you is to taste and see that he is good. Allow his spirit to rest upon you. Allow his spirit to fill you to overflowing, to stir you to love, to testify with your spirit that you are his child, to overflow you with his love. Let's just do that and allow him to strengthen you for the days and the weeks ahead. And even as you're before him, Assert in your heart, come to Him and say, God, I want to I want to change my course and lean into you and to taste and see, to cry out knowing you here, taste and see and enjoy your nearness. Let's just pray where we are, shall we? Just pray where we are. Father, we thank you so much for this relationship that you have crafted for us, whereby we can cry out to you and know that we're heard. And that you will answer whereby we can know your nearness to us in whatever cave we may be sitting whereby we can enjoy the invitation to taste and see to be filled with your spirit and and aware of your love and know that you are good lord we we set our course to lean into you and say lord for our part we want our lives to be full of what it means to be tasting and seeing that you are good So, Lord, we commit our lives to you. Now we say, Lord, please continue to breathe upon us. Continue, Lord, to lead us in this beautiful relationship of intimacy and celebration. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We're about to finish with the final song. And and as the song is played, you might want to join in or just listen. But as you do, just try and stay for a while longer in that sense where the Spirit is upon you tasting and seeing that god is good and let's look forward to the future with great expectation and faith knowing that god is at work in us and answering our cries and that he will bring us through into a broad place of his onward blessing so god bless you guys and have a great day and we'll see you back here again uh, next sunday at uh, half past ten god bless and goodbye